All right, what is up, good citizens of Crip Nation? I hope you guys are having a just a delightful morning, noon, and or night. Wherever you are in the world, you just got to know you're in the right place. Uh, Pizza Mind, how are you feeling, man? Things good in your life? You know, you know, I'm a little paranoid right now. I had oh boy. a really weird dream last night that uh, Jack O'Halloran from Scale Labs was chasing me, and I couldn't <laughs> escape. Um, anyway, back to reality. You, How's everything going? You? Who do we have on the show today? Oh, well, funny you should mention that. Jack O'Halloran from Scale Labs, CEO and founder. Welcome to the show, my man. Ah! <laughs> so, so pizza mine. Were you were you running uphill or running in sand as I was like <laughs> gaining ground, chasing you? <laughs> I was actually uh, I had a sledgehammer and I was breaking rocks open, and uh, there is just an endless amount of rocks, and I had to think there's a, got to be a better way to break off this mountain and scale up what I was doing. Oh, <laughs> oh, you're prepared awesome. today, aren't you, pizza mine? I'm, I'm I've had some caffeine. Uh, I'm envisioning Link uh, smashing rocks and finding gemstones inside of them uh, for the uh, <laughs> Zelda fans out there. <laughs> exactly. I was looking for pepperoni though, and you just I just kept hearing your laugh in the distance. Scale faster, work harder. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack, thank you so much. I know you got a busy day here, and we won't keep you too long. Uh, so first off, thanks for joining the show. We are, we're big fans of the stuff that you guys are doing over at Scale. Thank you. Hey, thank you for having me. Really a pleasure to be here and uh, to speak to this amazing community. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun and, and let's just jump in. I mean, before we even get started with Scale Labs, I mean, a lot of the times people are listening to Crypto 101 podcast and it's their first time ever hearing about crypto. Um, so, so what would you say to new people that are just now learning about crypto like how do you explain it to them because a lot of people are like you know i understand stocks or bonds um but you know when i buy crypto what am i really getting like how, how do you explain that to people yeah that's a really good question it's one i i find myself uh, always trying to find the right balance because this is a very technical topic but it can be explained in very simple terms as well so let me take a cut at describing that and my goal, by the way, if you've ever read the book Thing Explainer, it's a phenomenal book. Uh, there's only a thousand words used in the entire book and trying to describe incredibly complex topics. And it forces you to speak specifically and try not to use jargon. So I'm going to try to do that. So I love, I love that. I'm actually <laughs> going to write that book down right now. It's called Thing Explainer. Thing explainer. Yeah, check it out. You, especially if you guys, I think you, you'd appreciate it. So Amazing. Um, it's a really good book. So, all right. So let's, let's first talk about a blockchain. What is a blockchain? I think it's, it's absolutely critical to understand what this is. And I'm going to use again, basic terms. And instead of using the word node, I'll just use the word computer. Um, and so what happens is, is there's a series of computers. So let's say, you know, there's 10 of us and we each have a computer. Let's say there's a hundred. We all have a computer. Our computer has a specific software program that we all can see to ensure we're running the same code and the same program. So that's number one. That's why we have open source uh, as a big initiative around blockchain. So we all know we're running the same software. What that software does is it keeps the same record. And so if I have one scale token or Bitcoin or whatever, um, and you know you have one and we all have one, then... I spend one and Pizza Mine spend one, spends one and you have three. Well, the system each time those, that happens has to update. And the way we maintain accuracy in this digital environment is that 
we need to have a certain percentage of the computers have the same record. And if over 51% have the same record, then we can continue forward in a proof of work system. If over two thirds have the same record, that's kind of you know even more uh, more secure in some ways. But that would be like a lot of proof of stake have a have a different mechanism called a consensus. What happens is the computers are able to speak to each other and all ensure that they have the same record. And if you have the same record, what that means is you can keep an, an actual currency running digitally. But it's it's very reliant on a few things, and one of those things is that that you know there is a consensus where a majority is agreeing to the record, and so it's actually that's pretty simple, right? We all have a bunch of computers, and they run the same software. It keeps track of a currency and a record of the currency of who owns what, and that's that's really in a nutshell. But what gets more complicated and more sophisticated is when you think of where that could be utilized. So we could have a different currency that wants it that could be a new world currency, such mm. as a Bitcoin or, you know, a U.S. Uh, denominated currency that uh, is all running, and we can replace uh, or gold-backed currency or ETH-backed currency, whatever it is. We have uh, new ways of of using money. The other thing that happens is when we can create systems like this, we can also code. Uh, dynamics that are more broad that are not just about money, but are about rules and structure of the way the system and the money need to work together. And that's when we can cre- start creating even new business models and different types of business entities. And what happens is, is everybody, you know, can the code is law and you can code up new models. And that's where we get all this fun, exciting stuff that's coming from the Ethereum community with dApps and decentralized applications. And you know, it's mo- it's money that's being programmed that integrates and interacts with sets of rules. So, um, and and by the way, I can also segue how this into why these things can be slow and how scale operates too in the same framework. But uh, I'll let you. I'll just stop and you know, yeah. guys, please weigh in and yeah. And I think before we we get into that, and we we definitely will get into that. Some of the bottlenecks that are, are currently there. I mean, do you think that? A currency like Bitcoin, which you know is looking to replace maybe gold, for instance, um, do you think that something like that could actually, and the cryptocurrency ecosystem in in general, could replace banks? Um, you know what i I think I think they are going to replace components of banks. Banks provide a lot of value for different reasons, um, and so will different digital assets. And I think we're going to see hybrids evolve, and we are not going to see a complete dismantling of the banking infrastructure because there's a lot of good, positive things that come from that. But you're going to see banks get more integrated to crypto, and you're going to see crypto disrupt and dismantle more of these unfair banking practices uh, and things that, frankly, don't provide value to society. One of the huge advantages of blockchains and decentralized infrastructure and cryptocurrencies are you can replace middlemen in environments that are take that are taking more than their fair share and it, it's a, it's an absolute disruption mechanism that will ultimately result in more fair and equitable systems and i like to use the word democratize business mm. and you can really democratize businesses and make them more community owned and that's what we're going to find when it comes to banking uh, evolution. In my what, what are some of those like unfair banking practices that 
you know, the general public is being exposed to that we don't really even think about on a day-to-day basis? Well, um, so one thing would just be around lending. So if anyone's ever bought a home or done a HELOC for some construction or got an auto loan, so you're buying it, there's a whole system that's in place and there's a whole set of middlemen that go up and down the ladder. And the amount you pay out If you were just, you know, if we as a community were lending and borrowing with each other directly, it would be far less expensive. Um, And the other thing is what happens too, as we all saw in 2008, and this, you know, this is very macro, but there's lending and lending and lending and lending and lending, right? And it actually is integrated even to how we inflate currency is when someone buys a home and a bank issues a loan, and that even is integrated to inflation. And what happens eventually, like, Fannie and Freddie end up owning the loan and uh, and it just gets bought down the line. So I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into that, but but really what it comes down to is, is you know, hey, like look at what people are doing with Compound and decentralized finance systems and Maker, where they're actually new lending vehicles that anybody can show up. And as long as you like are KYCing in that you're and, and, and doing AML to ensure you're not doing money laundering and you're doing it legally... You can show up and get loans from the community, and it's pretty cool. So what are the biggest pain points in crypto right now? It really feels like we're not quite ready to bring in a ton of users. For instance, the loan system we have here in crypto is all collateralized. You don't get something unless you have something already. What are some of the ways that crypto and blockchain need to evolve before everyone can participate? Yeah. So one of, uh, you know, and I'll kind of like fold back into usability and user experience. So one piece is the UX has been just abysmal and Hey, it's for, it, it's been at, for the sake of security, we kind of needed to have the certain guardrails and structure around entry and ownership and validation of identity and storing keys because this is new terrain but we're quickly seeing infrastructure grow to support usability on both the end user front end perspective as well as the back end in making transactions cost less removing gas fees making block times sub seconds um, and so those things are dramatically improving and then uh, i think as we get more and more users and more and more uh, volume and more and more currency into the system we can then have even more friendly financial terms that less collateral is required, et cetera, as, as volume grows and frequency grows. But happy to kind of dig in more too on those points. You know, one of the things that I've always been interested in, I mean, actually, before we dive into the technical stuff, is I always like learning about, I mean, we, we get to talk to CEOs all day, and I always like to hear about their different strategies for, you know, managing their companies, uh, for raising capital. I mean, you guys raised money from you know, the Winklevoss twins and Mike Novogratz's Galaxy and Simon's Hashed and Arrington XRB. Like these are all guys that everybody knows. And, you know, I guess first off, like how do you, how do you strategize around raising? Like how do you figure out what your valuation is going to be and who you want to get money from and all that stuff? Yeah, it's a really good question. So and it, I think it also brings up one of just the, these truisms of the space that is even like, semi-controversial is, guess what? At the end of the day, this is all just software. And software, even if it's a decentralized project, requires at some point a set of humans to gather around the idea and the concept 
and build an initiative with the goal and a plan. And, and you know, I've been doing tech startups since 2005, uh, have been a part of a number of successful startups and have started many myself and raised a lot of uh, financing in the process. So thankfully had just, you know, knew how to do it from my prior work experience doing uh, machine learning startups and mobile startups and security startups and uh, had learned some things along the way, but also say this is a new industry. So I also had to learn new things and unlearn old things in order for us to effectively uh, raise our financing. So one, we hey, we had a good plan, but two, we we had to build traction and we had to bring data points and to say, hey, here's what we're looking to do. Here's a, here's our plan. Here's our our traction thus far. Here's how we're executing against the plan. Here's the code. Here's the customer traction. Here's the you know market validation from validators. So we we were able to you know thankfully execute on the plan, and it's it's one of uh, you know I've just been you know, I, I can get into more of the details later, but we also just I have to say I'm really thankful to have such a phenomenal team around me too. Um, as the CEO has to go raise the money, but it's really difficult. You can't do that without a, a world class team. And to follow up on that, I mean, this is the golden question right now that everyone in the space that listens to our podcast is, you know, stop what you're doing, you know, have your attempt, you know, hold your calls. How do you create a business plan on blockchain and crypto that actually makes a sustainable, profitable business? Yeah, that's a really, really great point. So, you know, that is what lured me and attracted me to the industry is I realized, you know, hey, I had just started a, and built up a very successful um, advanced analytics uh, SaaS platform. So almost every pharma, te- pharma rep and biotech rep in the world is guided by this platform. It's called Octana. And, you know, had a ton of options to go start something else in, you know, doing machine learning and AI, which is a really hot space. But what really intrigued me about decentralized business models in crypto is that you can create an economic structure that creates a ton of good for your users and brings them the value at a far lower cost and shares value with another side of a marketplace. And you can do all of this, do good for society, have an incredibly transparent, open platform and have a phenomenally successful business model. Because when your, your business model is based around token appreciation, and there's a real need and utility to your token and your tokens programmable into your network. What it means is, you know, instead of us at scale taking 30 to 50% margin every year, like Amazon does or other, other infrastructure players in tech, you, know, you just take 30% or 20% or some fraction up front because you're getting a component of the currency. As, and, you know, that component has to you know, vest over a long period of time. The foundation has a seven-year vest schedule, for example, at scale. But if we can make the scale token valuable, uh, then then it's a phenomenally successful business venture for the investors and and the participants uh, working to create the network. And instead of people that you know get access to the tech infrastructure, instead of them paying like an exorbitant margin every year. They're getting at a dramatically lower cost, and they're just having to deal with a little inflationary component from some tokens being minted at the beginning. That sounds really awesome. You know, I was on a, an airplane for about 25 hours yesterday, and I was thinking to myself about research and development and how I could just become interested in something like maglev, 
or magnetic levitation, mm -hmm. you know, to try and change the way uh, flight technology works. And I could go to the U.S. government and publish a, a one paper a year, you know, just kind of pull it out of my ass. I don't know anything about maglev. And, uh, you know, just be funded for life pretty much. But turning that into a usable product that actually impacts the world and a business that turns a profit is so much harder. And I think we see a lot of that in crypto and blocks, uh, blockchain these days, where a lot of people just get very, very excited about getting research and development funding and then just kind of have a good life, but don't really put out anything that is ever really used. So what is a scale putting out that really can impact the world and be very useful as well as turn a profit. Yeah. And, and Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to address that in two pieces. So one, let me just like uh, directly respond to like the market dynamic. You're so right. There's so many people that basically got R and D funded and I don't know how much they're paying themselves. I don't know where this money is going. There's lots of transparency. Um, and, you know, but the reality is, I think a lot of this, this happens in boom industries and growth phases that happened with the internet in the 90s. So it's not, not completely new. But um, that what we're also seeing is the same thing that happened in like early 2000s is that one, there's a de-layering of investors. A lot of the investors and the VCs don't have the same, uh, uh, they don't have the same assets now. And they... Um, uh, that they had before and they haven't been able to raise subsequent funds from the LPs. And then, uh, and then the other piece is that projects that haven't performed and hit milestones are not able to raise the second tranche of financing. Okay. So what we're seeing here in this, you know, we're going to see continually more and more projects. Uh, you'll, you know, I haven't seen the data, but the amount of projects that have gotten funding the second half of this year is dramatically lower than the first half of the prior year. And there, so, so, and what it's going to come down to is you need to produce results. You need to be building something of value. What scale does is decentralized architecture. So if I want to you know, run a decentralized application, I need access to blockchain infrastructure. Okay. And, and that means I need to be able to run consensus. I need to run a blockchain. <laughs> I need to do file storage in a decentralized manner. I need to be able to execute smart contracts on Ethereum, like such as smart contracts that happen on Ethereum. That's where we basically have these escrows that hold the money until something happens. And then the blockchain certifies that it's all accurate and the money should pass through. Um, and you uh, you just and you need to be able to carry and manage state. So and, and be able to message that back and forth. Um, in a way that users can use a system. So scale, if I, let's say someone's building a decentralized application that has crypt cryptocurrency integrated, and there's a smart contract that says, you know, if uh, Pizza Mine beats Bryce, Bryce, uh, you know, has to give up his sword. And, you know, then Damn that- Damn right. That, yeah. <laughs> and so that then comes and, and, and lives basically in a backend database and is executed in scale. And then it speaks back and forth to Ethereum. So if we're playing a normal game, guess what? It goes and pings the Amazon server or Google Cloud or something else, right? And it hits a centralized database. So scale provides utility to developers who need to run decentralized applications uh, for many different types of businesses. And we have 32 uh, decentralized applications already signed up and working within the Scale Innovator program. And there are 
uh, over a hundred that are waiting and have applied to get in that will be, uh, will be opening up the doors and letting them in as soon as we have the bandwidth to support them effectively. So this is infrastructure that's not just for developers or, you know, system engineers, but this is something that if you're a real estate broker or a small business owner that wants to leverage blockchain technology, they can just contact you guys and you would help them out by providing that. Well, so they would have to have a developer be able to code that up. But really, if they wanted to use a, a, real, a real estate agent, wanted to use a real estate oriented blockchain application that's on Ethereum, the developer then is, is, is designing it so that it connects to scale. And then when they get access to that system, they can use scale and they don't even need to know they're using it. So just like all of us today, everybody on this phone, everyone listening on this call has interacted with Docker and, you know, probably Google Cloud and probably uh, Amazon, you know, Elastic Compute Cloud. And, you know, we're interacting with infrastructure constantly. We just don't know. And for us to be successful in blockchain, we need to be able to make the same thing happen. My goal is so that no real estate agent who uses scale ever knows they use it. They just interact with the application. That's amazing. And so what is really like the main bottleneck for, for scaling right now? Yeah, great, great question. So let's go back to this very simple uh, analogy and, and description where let's say we have 100 computers, right? And each computer and, you know, in, in the blockchain world, we'd say these are all nodes. Each computer is running, uh, you know, a role in the blockchain. And what happens is, is 100 computers for them to talk and come to an agreement, it takes a while. And they also have to keep carrying the, the weight, the data that's inside that, that is the record and the history. And so let's say instead of 100, we have 10,000 or 100,000 computers, and they all have to wait to come to agreement. And what that means is the more and more that come to agreement, it means the more and more secure the system is. And if it's a currency, that can be really valuable because if it's our digital gold, well, hey, guess what? It's going to take a lot of effort to get 51% of them to turn bad and, uh, or 67% in what's called a you know, Byzantine fault tolerant consensus model. So what's happening though is as it gets more secure, it gets slower and more expensive to run because we just need more and more and more and more machines that all have to agree. Imagine if 100, everybody in San Francisco had to say, agree to something really quickly. Um, it, it takes a while and, it's, and it's, it's like a heavy workload. So what scale does, and this is how scale helps to solve for that, is let's say we have these 100 computers again. Well, randomly at any given time, 10 of them are assigned to go work for you, know, you as a developer. I'm the real estate DAP and the, the developer using it says, hey, I want a scale chain. Well, in a random fashion, 10 of them are selected. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 100 and only those 10 run the run the blockchain and carry the state and have to communicate so it's just inherently faster because there's less but what we do is we make sure that those 10 are consistently rotated and we randomly select those 10 and the other thing is the reality is we're going to have a much bigger pool than 100 we want to have you know thousands and thousands of these someday and the bigger the pool the uh, you know, the harder it is to ensure that you have, you know, over two thirds on any single individual chain. And so we randomly select them. The computers that manage the state that are running the blockchain for the developer are rotated and they have an incentive. They all put in like $100,000 worth of scale tokens. And, and if they act bad and they try to steal the money, guess what? You lose that stake. It's called the stake. And it, and it aligns incentives of the people running the nodes, and they're also like effectively mining or it's called validating in a proof of stake world where they get tokens by doing the work. And uh, this model then ensures we can have speed and a lightweight execution in conjunction with uh, lower cost. And then ultimately, this scale system and your 10 computers that sits in one room will speak back to another network like Ethereum or Bitcoin and keep sharing updates consistently. And so you can you can pair speed and security together in an optimal way. And that's how scale supports <coughs> the scalability problem. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform every year. And they're some of our good friends and they're a great sponsor. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets and your fees are extremely transparent. So if you're not ready to trade yet, uh, you could also practice building your portfolio with the eToro virtual trading feature. They give you $100,000 of virtual money and you could start playing around with it and not have to risk any of your real money before you get comfortable with the markets. And best of all, you can connect with 12 million other eToro traders around the world, kind of like a social network for trading, to discuss charts and all things crypto. So go ahead, create an account today at eToro.com slash crypto 101. That helps us, that helps you, that helps them, and makes everything possible here if you guys use that link. So guys, start building your portfolio the smart way eToro is crypto trading made easy. All right, back to the show. So in our first conversation a couple of weeks ago, you had such an awesome analogy um, about like mobile apps in 2006 and uh, basically kind of trying to draw this parallel between like, how did the internet scale? You know, back in the early days, nobody could have imagined sending 8K VR tech, uh, you know, video files through the internet, right? Because it didn't scale to that, but eventually scaling got to that point. So, so can you can you kind of walk us through how like the internet scaled and that that analogy that you were talking about with the mobile apps? Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So, so one, it's it, one of the the amazing things about the crypto space and blockchain is that 
we are all, there's so many people that care <laughs> and it also, but it also shines a, a bright light on what is just really a traditional tech growth and tech evolution. So when I was working in mobile in 2005, I would literally have to talk to CIOs to say, here's and give valued propositions and ROI models on just letting people use email outside of the office and having a mobile phone. And, <laughs> um, and we hit this inflection point in 2006 where everybody had a BlackBerry or you know, a, a Palm Trio or whatever mobile device, a Windows device, a Nokia device. And it was just complex. All of a sudden, I had to talk about like all the reasons why our product, why good was better than RIM and all the... In, and it became a different conversation and it spiked. But still, you know, email was the only killer app. There was nothing else really people that was viable. Even looking up sports scores on ESPN was slow, tedious. If anybody listening remembers those days on a 2G network. Uh, and so, so good, we, we launched this big you know, app platform and we were going to get all the, we had all the enterprises were using it. And we thought we'd have people lining up around the block to you know, launch their applications in mobile and use and connect to good. But, the, but you know, only a handful were really there, uh, really trying to do that because the user experience wasn't there. And the issue was we had poor battery life, we had low memory on devices, we had low bad network speeds. There was a whole confluence of factors that made the user experience really bad. But instead of like millions of people saying, what's going on? Where's the industry like we have in crypto? It was like a lot less. Yeah. And, you know, people like me were pulling our hair out being like, let's get this going. And but hey, sure enough, like all of these things were fixed and improved and in their own buckets. And this confluence of factors came together and boom, we had uh, the iPhone launched and the network speeds improved and other, thing, other products launched and Android launched soon after. And then you have a million people in real time playing each other in online, uh, you know, simultaneous games like on Supercell and, and you know, people across the world competing and like a night and day difference, right? And we also happen with mobile. So I just see the same thing happening. And what I tell people is like, hey, just just relax, sit back and watch a show. We're close. I see all these improvements being made um, in each of the categories that are you know that are unique to crypto. And I'm feeling very confident about the tech and where things are going. And we're going to start really seeing the value to friction ratio change. You know, one of the other things that you were talking about was this decentralized search engine on scale, kind of like a, a decentralized Google. Um, and there, there's some shared upside as well. So can you go into, uh, into that? Yeah, that's another, that's a great question. So let me give, let me give like a short-term example. Cause I think, you know, one of the, one, you know, th- flow of conversation is, well, what's going to happen tomorrow? Like, or in six months, like, what are we going to see happening so one just the short-term thing there the gaming industry is just going to be so integrated with crypto in the next year and we're going to see games and different applications such as that are similar uh, integrate crypto and end users aren't even going to know and and you know i think this is going to happen this is happening across DeFi. this is happening in other areas and these are things that are not like incredibly complicated in terms and they make a ton of sense in, in terms of integrating cryptocurrency but really what i you know the big picture where we're going and something like you ask for, you know what's something amazing that could be built on scale well if you think about decentralized entities i mentioned earlier that groups of people essentially can come to agreement on frameworks and rules of how the system will, will operate 
and how payments are made and and really who does the work. So instead of paying, um, you know, if this were like, like an Uber, right, instead of having a central group called Uber, uh, they would just be the central software that ever, the community runs and, and people get paid to run the software and, and, dri and dri riders get paid to drive people and, and or drivers get paid to, to drive people and riders would pay to access the system. And then instead of it going to a middleman, it goes just, you know, flows through the community as it's designed to flow. And you've disintermediated somebody who prior took 30% of every ride. So now let's go to like, a super big picture view is I said a search engine. So Google, a competitor to Google could run entirely on scale and, and connect with Ethereum as well. You could run an entire search engine. Google makes 110 plus billion in revenue a year off of us using search and looking at ads. And that money goes to Google. And instead, what would happen is if we all agreed to a new model and all use the shared ecosystem and open ecosystem, Anybody who's watching ads could opt in to watch them. And then people that run the servers get paid. And you know, even the users and those of us watching ads are getting dividends back through the system. And so what we've done is we can remove these huge incumbent players because we're changing the way profits flow and we're democratizing business models. And the reality is the big players can't complete, compete with that because they have profit motives and profit initiatives and growth requirements from Wall Street. And so... Um, that's when the stuff gets super exciting and we start, I think, you know, but it's just going to take a while. It's going to be, that's a five or 10 year journey to start seeing like major, major systems we use every day, turn it into decentralized community run assets. Yes. Remember windows 98. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was obviously not the best product out there, but it became what was most widely used. Everyone who's listening on this podcast right now is nodding their heads. Yeah, I remember that. I had to reboot twice a day. It could not scale. It was a terrible yes. use of resources. And that got me thinking about Ethereum. While it is, it's kind of like Windows 98, but for blockchain. However, yeah. you decided to build scale on Ethereum instead of EOS or Komodo. Why did you make that choice? And you know, what do you see for the future of Ethereum? Yeah, so I, I'll use another Microsoft analogy. So a lot of people don't realize Microsoft won. We all use Microsoft OS because Microsoft won the developer war. They invented B2D marketing, which is business to developer marketing. And uh, I think everyone's seen Steve Ballmer's thing when he's like sweating profusely and saying, developers, developers, developers on stage. Well, they just, they made developers successful. And therefore they ended up owning the operating system and you know coding languages, and that's why we use Microsoft. Now Ethereum is winning the developer battle, in and not just by a little bit, but by a landslide. Like it's unbelievable what's happening in the Ethereum ecosystem. Ethereum ecosystem, and scale. We we're a part of that. We really feel we're a part of this Ethereum movement. There are a lot of other projects that are working as well in the in the movement. And Ethereum is going to win, I think, because Ethereum is an ecosystem. It's not just an asset of ETH and it's not a company. It's really a large group of people banding together around you know, goals and, and a set of values uh, of just kind of doing the right thing and building and, and really delivering. And it's not about making short-term money, which is different 
that from you know some other ecosystems. So it it's just by sheer volume of devs uh, that you know we'll see the ETH ecosystem. So you can think of scale as being an integrated component of the Ethereum ecosystem, and we anyone can get a small version of Ethereum or a, and a big version, but it's on the side, and it's like there's two highways, and one is jammed with people, and it's like really secure and to the extent it's like not that usable and then scales this super highway. It's the express lane that goes right next to it. And, you know, developers can pay more and, you know, go to the express lane and have great service. And these two things operate in tandem. We also can say, hey, you like Bitcoin. Well, guess what? You can run Bitcoin in the Ethereum developer ecosystem because scale has a way to plug that in and basically clone it and it runs in the scale network. Or, you know, if Libra or other assets ever launch that are valuable, they could also run the Ethereum ecosystem by being brought into a scale chain. You know, what are some other ecosystems that you think are going to rise to prominence besides Ethereum? Um, you know, that is a, it's a phenomenal question. And one of the questions that's being asked by people are, do the same rules around power laws exist? Are we going to see a complete monopoly like we do with search engines? Or is it going to be kind of like, what we're seeing with ride sharing, where there's like 75% for the winner, 25% for second place, no one in third place. So is it going to be like a lot of power laws say that the winner gets 99% of the market share? Um, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's it's there's some people building very cool things that are outside of the Ethereum ecosystem, but um, I'll just tell you if if developers will select are gonna select the winner of the ecosystem, then Really, I see uh, I see the anyone not participating in the Ethereum ecosystem putting themselves at serious business risk because of the inertia of where the devs are, and and that's played true in every prior um, you know ecosystem platform play, platform play, and we saw it with Apple, we saw it with Twilio, uh, we saw it with uh, uh, Android. Um, you know, you just see people that win the developer ecosystems end up dominating categories that are technical. That's such an important point. And actually, that exact point hasn't been brought up on the show yet. So I appreciate that insight. And, you know, it's funny because I heard uh, Joe Lubin, uh, I, I, it wasn't during a speech, but I, I read something that he said that he wants to have a million developers actively working on Ethereum by the end of 2020. And it's just like, whoa, that just goes to show the scale, no pun intended, of what they're trying to accomplish over at the Ethereum Foundation. And I'm super bullish on Ethereum. I love it. I, I see the same stuff. I see every, no matter what conference you're going to, everybody's building on it. Um, everybody's talking about it. So that, that's yeah, one, some good insight. One, one small example, and I'll tie that into Joe's comment. And I've gotten to know Joe uh, pretty well over the last year. He's he's a really brilliant, brilliant person. And I think he, he definitely sees... Uh, He's been around the block. He knows how these things work. And he's got some really great points. And I don't think that's an outlandish goal. And the reason why is we can't expect a million developers to get to know Solidity. Solidity is the programming language of Ethereum to, to program smart contracts. But what's happening with Ethereum is that uh, there's so much effort. There's more people working on making Ethereum extensible to other devs that just know JavaScript and other coding languages to leverage smart contracts in a secure kind of standardized way that you're going to see the Ethereum ecosystem lend itself to developers 
even outside of this solidity language. And that's where you get scale because all of a sudden, millions of developers who know other languages can use Ethereum and not have to worry about breaking cryptography and needing to have a math expert on the team. And so these are very common growth trends too that we see in tech where um, we you start abstracting away complexity and you make difficult things easy and usable. And it even happens for developers. Interesting. I like that point. And, and you know, kind of before we before we move on past the technology section. Um, I kind of want to get your your quick high level feelings towards Tezos's approach. You know, could you kind of just break down what they're doing and like why you do or don't like what they're doing? You know what? Um, I will just say I'm. Uh, I, I know some people that have invested. I know they've done a really good job building a validator community or baker community is what they call call it and you know they're not i'm not seeing them get a ton of traction on the developer side and like and dap side because there's a lot of unknowns and risks but i think they are doing a good job just uh fundamentally getting people up and running and, and getting the blockchain run but if you look at the blocks i you know they're not full of business transactions and you know escrow is being executed upon so um, you know, but hey, I think it's a smart team, and I've heard good things about them. I know they're trying to do some accelerator type grant programs to try to spark their industry and growth in their industry. But it's a very different set of community, and uh, maybe Tezos is going to find a niche in a different category that you know that it is less you know developer focused, as we saw like Microsoft get dominance. And that's where I said I don't know how. How the power laws are going to work. I think we're all just kind of in, you know, waiting and watching to see how these things unfold. But um, you know, either they're going to be left, uh, and, you know, with like absolutely zero value <laughs> if all they ever get are just you know rich people that buy tokens and you know people that are like running, you know, frankly, just lighting up Tezos servers on Amazon. It's yeah, uh, right. And you know, they've got to get utility. But again, maybe there's a currency component or a decentralized finance component that they figure out and they can own a piece of the market. So I think the market's going to be massive. And I think if they execute well, they could do well. well as you mentioned earlier, usually the winner gets like 99% or maybe 75 For some reason, I think crypto ecosystems are going to be a little more decentralized because the mentality is to maintain decentralization from the start. I think the word for 2020 is going to be interoperability meaning mm-hmm. people can work between ecosystems. But I think ecosystem itself is going to be the word for maybe crypto in crypto for maybe 2021 or 2022, as these ecosystems really become mature. And like Bryce was mentioning in another episode, more like digital nation states. And this mm-hmm. tribalism that you know we're trying to fight against is probably going to come back in a huge wave. And you really can subscribe and have your entire life revolve around these digital identities and name services and applications that are built on these individual ecosystems. So it should be really, really interesting to see what's going to be happening in the next three years. I know you talked about Ethereum and how great it's going to be, but what is one company that you think is going to have the greatest impact on crypto space besides Ethereum? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm biased, but I, I think it's going to be scale. <laughs> so, um, you know, we... My belief and my goal 
is to support all of these developers building on Ethereum. And, and if you think about it, scale brings each one of them uh, architecture that they need to run gasless fast transactions and smart contracts. So um, we, uh, I, I'd love to see scale operating in every single instance of Ethereum. And, and it's again, like a lot of people don't recognize the power and the impact that uh, Docker and uh, has had and or Kubernetes uh, open source project. And you, know, you can almost see scale having a similar type powerful impact that every single developer interacts with every single day. And, and it's, so that that's, I'm excited about what we're doing. So, um, so that's, that would be my answer. And I, I also would just say, I think you're really right about, you know, you, uh, you hit the pizza on the head uh, <laughs> and we don't know how things are going to unfold in, in crypto with power laws because decentralization is a core value. Um, and it's a different, it's a different model. It's not, uh, but it, it'll be, I'm, I'm curious as somebody who studies these things um, as part of my job of starting companies, I'm, I don't have the answer and I'm, I'm waiting. Uh, I'm glad we all have a front row seat to the show. Absolutely. I really wish, you know, we had more time and could have a big whiteboard session and draw all over the walls and see what are going to be maybe the biggest 10 ecosystems five years down the road. First of all, who's going to exist? And second, who, what, um, you know, what they might look like, but we don't have that kind of time, unfortunately, <laughs> not today, maybe in the next episode. Uh, there's are a couple further questions we want to ask before we, we let you go. And my pizza delivery guy arrives. Um, <laughs> so who's one person you really admire in the crypto space? Yeah. So, you know, that's a really, really great question. I, one, I would just say there, there are, you know, I won't, I won't put a name on this person because there's a lot of these people, but you go to these hackathons and it's the, it's the like women and men that are staying up till you know, 36 hours over the weekend, just hacking and building on, on decentralized networks because they love it and they believe it. So like, you know, whoever this, you know, this, this, it's not somebody who's getting podcast spotlight. They're not getting write-ups. Like they're just there for the love of the game and they believe in this and they are learning to build. And those are the people that are going to really carry the industry on their shoulders and take the industry to the next level there's a lot of them and they're kind of the unsung heroes. So that's, that's my, uh, you know, who would I would say otherwise, like, you know, obviously, uh, Satoshi or, uh, Vitalik or someone, but, uh, you know, it's the unsung heroes who I have the most respect for the hackathon heroes. This one's to you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jack, thank you so much for, for spending an hour with us this afternoon. Uh, really can't thank you enough. And we're excited to keep tabs on everything that you guys are doing over at scale labs. And we wish you all the success in the world because your success is actually going to be all of our success. Thank you. Hey, it's awesome talking to you guys. You guys are smart and fun. And thanks for just introducing uh, and educating the people here because we all need it. This is a complex, complex topic. Absolutely. You are doing the Lord's work over there for all of us holders of ETH. Let me just Gasless say that. ETH transactions. Amazing. <laughs> All right. You take care and we'll see you soon, my man. Okay. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you. See ya.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.